Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Lead Pastor Neil Krauss. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Good morning and happy Easter. Hope is here because Jesus is risen. Can we celebrate that one more time? Let's just celebrate it. What an awesome, awesome day. Listen, like Sean just said a few minutes ago, we're so grateful that you would choose to worship with us on Easter Sunday morning. We know there's a lot of options for you and you chose to worship with us and that's just a great honor to us. We prayed um, for you. We prayed over this space. We prayed over the chairs. We prayed um, that you would be here this morning and we're thankful that you've um, chosen to be here at Forward Church to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of that resurrection, hope is here. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's the foundation of our faith. You know, without the resurrection, we have no hope. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Then you go down a couple more verses. Verse 17 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So look up that word futile. Merriam-Webster defines futile like this, serving no useful purpose, completely ineffective. What the Bible says is that without the resurrection of Jesus, then Christianity has no purpose. Without the resurrection of Christ, our faith is useless. So this is the foundation of our faith, what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, and that's exactly why Easter is such a big deal. And that's why we have hope in this resurrection of Jesus. We place our hope in the resurrected King. The people who witnessed the death of Jesus, I would say, had lost hope. They hadn't seen the resurrected Christ yet. So on that Good Friday when Jesus died and then was placed in that tomb, all hope seemed lost. So today what I want to do is I want to look at what the Bible has to say about the resurrection of Jesus and why it is our hope. We're going to see how the emotions of a, a group of women, how they discover that Jesus was alive and how they go from a hopelessness to a hope in a matter of minutes. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 10 today. It's on page 835 of the Bible that's under your chair. If you didn't bring one, there's a Bible that should be under your chair. If you need a Bible, feel free to take one of those with you. That's our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. The verses will also be on the screen for you, but if you would stand with me. I know you've been kind of up and down throughout worship. If you'd stand with me, we always stand together for the main reading of our scripture text because this is God's holy Word. We believe this Bible is holy it is living, it is God's word breathed out by him, so we stand in honor and reverence of what he has to say. Matthew 28, starting in verse 1, says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. 
So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You can be seated. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now verse 1 there says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, that, that would have meant Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. The other Gospels tell us that there was a group of women that went to the tomb, including Salome and Joanna. So when you have the four Gospels, you have four different accounts from four different witnesses, and, and they include different, um, different parts of the story. They, they share it from a different perspective. So we see here that just Mary and Mary are mentioned, but then in other Gospels, we find out that there was other women with them. So they are going to the tomb of Jesus, and they are devastated because Jesus had died. And they had spent the last three years at least following him, witnessing his miracles, spending time with him, and they had hoped that Jesus was going to be their king. And that hope now seemed futile. That hope now seemed useless because they had witnessed Jesus dying and they had witnessed him being buried in the tomb. But these women, they still loved Jesus. Uh, many of them had, had known him as a child. Others had followed him for the last few years, and they regretted the fact that they didn't have time to give Jesus a proper burial. You see, there was such a, a rush to get him buried before the Sabbath day began that they hurried and got him in the tomb, and they didn't have time to anoint his body properly. So these women, they agreed that as soon as the Sabbath was over, what they would do is they would go to the tomb, and they would anoint his body. The Bible says at dawn on that first Easter morning, they headed towards the tomb, not knowing how they were going to get inside. And I always kind of picture that morning as kind of a foggy morning. As I was driving into church this morning, if you were up early, you saw there was fog all over the land. I thought, what an awesome way to start Easter morning because it was just foggy. And that's kind of the way I picture it as these women are walking, you know, towards the tomb, that they're going down the path and it's, it's foggy. And, and as you get closer to things in the fog, they start to come into view, right? You start to begin to see what is ahead of you. And I kind of picture that as these women are heading there and they don't know how they're going to remove the stone to be able to get in to anoint Jesus' body. So they're speculating, you know, who's going to help us get into the tomb to do this? And what they didn't realize is that it would be open for them. So they wondered who's going to do it because that huge stone was there. And there was a group of soldiers that were hired as security guards to make sure that no one stole the body of Jesus and then claimed he was alive. So, you know, they had put guards in place to make sure that nothing like that could happen. So these women, they didn't really have a plan, but they're just faithfully going because they want to properly anoint the body of Jesus. Then we look at verse 2. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now imagine what these women were thinking as the ground shook. They're headed up this trail. It's foggy. I'm, in my mind, I'm picturing it's foggy. They're not to the tomb yet. The earth shakes. There's an earthquake. There, there had been an earthquake when Jesus had been crucified and when he died. And now a few days later, there's another earthquake. God is literally shaking things up, right? So this angel comes to the tomb and the earth shakes and he rolls back the stone. And Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Now, an important thing to note here is that the stone being rolled away was not so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. The stone being rolled away was so that we could see into the tomb, so that we could see what had happened, that, that Jesus is gone. The tomb is empty. Now, 
In verse 3 and 4 says about the angel, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. At the sight of this angel of the Lord, the guards passed out. They were so afraid, they were so scared when they saw this angel and they saw that the tomb was open that they passed out. Now, surely out of fear of the angel, it put put fear in them and they passed out. And surely also because they saw the tomb was open and they knew they were fearing for their lives because their boss would have them killed for the tomb being opened and being raided and and the body of Jesus being gone. So these guys, they pass out and and they they can't stand it. They they had failed to keep the the tomb sealed and Jesus' body protected. And Matthew reports a few verses later, that when the guards wake up, that they run to report to the chief priest, chief of priests exactly what had happened in an effort to save themselves. So they, they get out of there. They flee, and they go, and they try to, to, to tell what had happened. And rather than punish these guards for failing at their post, the religious leaders gave them a large sum of money, the Bible says, and told them to say that the disciples of Jesus had come while they were sleeping and had stolen the body. So they make up a plan. Those religious leaders bribe them to lie about what had really happened. So we've got these guards that have fled the scene, and the women, they approach the empty tomb after this earthquake. And I imagine the women were relieved to see that the stone was rolled away. The stone had been moved, and I don't know what, maybe they're thinking that maybe the earthquake moved the stone, and, and they notice there's no guards there anymore. So they see this empty tomb, and what do they do? They go in. You know, you and I walk up on an empty tomb, and, and the, the, the door's been cracked and rolled away. Would we go in? I don't know, probably not, but these women, they go into the tomb. So the Gospels of Mark and Luke tell us that as they enter into the tomb, on the right, they see two angels. So, you know, Matthew's just told us that there's one angel that came and rolled it away, and here's another account that we're getting more information. There's more than one angel. There's at least two, but Matthew tells us that one of them speaks. So verses 5 through 6, the one says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Notice this angel puts them at ease right away. He says, do not be afraid. What happened when the guards saw him? They were terrified. He didn't tell them not to be afraid. He, he let them be scared, and they passed out, and they got up, and they ran. But when these believers in Jesus, when these faithful people come, he says, do not be afraid. Look, over here, Jesus is risen. So they listen. And the angel says, Jesus is not here. He has risen as he said he would. Look at the place where he lay. And what they would have seen is his clothes, burial clothes laying there. The account in the Gospel of John says this about what Peter saw when he runs to the tomb. In chapter 20, verses 6 through 7, it says, Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So the clothes, the burial clothes of Jesus are laying there, but Jesus is gone. And at this point of seeing an angel of the Lord, of the burial clothes of Jesus laying there, Jesus is nowhere to be found, the women must have been a little bit hopeful. There had to have been something inside of them thinking, okay, things are happening really fast now, and we're trying to figure out what's going on. Their hearts are pounding, but they desperately wanted to believe that Jesus was alive. But I could imagine at that point, they're probably thinking, this, this is too good to be true. What has happened? Maybe somebody took his body, but this angel's telling them what's happened. You see, the hope that was lost is beginning to come back. It's beginning to be restored. And the angel restores that hope with what he says next. Verse Matthew 28, 7 says, Then go quickly 
and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So the angel gives them what to do and says, you'll see Jesus again. The angel of the Lord is telling them there is hope. Jesus is risen and you're going to see him. And I imagine they had to be overwhelmed. Maybe, just maybe, this one who had raised Lazarus from the dead was able to raise himself. They'd seen the miracles, so now this hope is being restored inside of them. And they must have recalled Jesus predicting his resurrection, and it began to make sense now. And verse 8 says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. You know, from this point on, everyone in the story is running. And I love that. They're in a hurry to find out if it's true. They're anxious to share the news. The women race back to Jerusalem to share their experience with the disciples of Jesus. And then the disciples, it says, run to the tomb to see if it's true. And the guards are running for their lives. And the religious leaders are running around trying to find a way to cover up what has happened. And as the women run back to the city, they experience an event that I imagine they could never forget. They ran into hope face to face because Jesus met them and they found out hope is here. Hope is here and it's right in front of us. Read verse nine. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. You know, I think we read through accounts like this and we really underestimate what's happening in that moment. You know, the Bible always understates events rather than sensationalizing them and it's up to us to kind of look at the event, put ourselves in it and imagine what really happened there. This is the biggest moment in these women's lives ever. They are experiencing face-to-face -face the risen Christ, the resurrected Savior. Jesus is standing in front of them. He says, greetings, and they're overwhelmed. So I want us to put ourselves in that situation and think of the most um, overwhelming moment of your life. Think of the moment when you met someone famous and you just felt overwhelmed and you didn't really have words to say. Think of the best thing that you have ever experienced. Maybe it's winning something that you worked really hard to win and you had this amazing moment. Maybe it was your wedding day and it's just overwhelmingly one of the best days of your life. Maybe it's the day you were baptized and you think that's the day that's the, been the biggest day of my life because it was the turning point in my life. Maybe it's the birth of a child. Take all those moments and multiply them times 90 million. Imagine knowing that Jesus was dead, witnessing him dying, knowing he's in that tomb, and then seeing him face to face. And I love how Jesus just says, greetings. Isn't that great? Again, just the Bible understates this moment of how Jesus shows up on the, on the path as they're walking, and these women have come face to face with him, and the Bible says they fell at his feet in worship. Now, why did they do that? There's no other response you could have. When you come face to face with the resurrected king, when you come face to face with the savior of the world, when you come face to face with Jesus, the Messiah, who's resurrected from the dead, he's conquered death, there's no other response we can have but to fall at his feet and to worship him. To worship him with everything that we have, and that's what they do, is they worship him. They recognize Jesus as the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the savior, he's God in the flesh. You know, Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Christ, says that one of the reasons he believes in the resurrection is because uh, the people who first discovered the resurrection were women. And Lee Strobel was an atheist who set out to prove the Bible wrong. And as he studied the Bible and studied the Gospels and, and really dug in and did it like a, uh, you know, he, he was putting all the facts together, he became a believer. 
And he said the reason he believes in the resurrection is because the first people that, that came upon it were women. He points out that women in that day had no credibility. They were not even allowed to testify in court. They were barely permitted to speak in public. So if you were going to conjure up a story, if you were going to fabricate this story about the resurrection, the last thing in the world you would do would be to make the first witnesses be women whom no one in that day would have believed. The Bible just doesn't read like a false testimony. The more you look at it, you have to understand that this is not the way we would make it up if we were going to try to fabricate something. Common sense of that day would have made the first witnesses to be very credible men, men who had authority so that it would be more believable. But God does things differently because it takes our faith as well. So these women had the privilege of seeing Jesus first, and then they get to bring the good news of hope to the disciples. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And I just imagine Mary and these other women running as fast as they can to tell the disciples that they've seen Jesus. I imagine just how, they, how overwhelmed they felt, and they're just sprinting as fast as they can go. And you know, Sally Lloyd-Jones says it this way in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Jesus Storybook Bible is a great storybook Bible for kids, even adults. I love how she words things. And here's how she said it. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never run so fast, so far in all her life. She felt she could have run forever. She didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. Isn't that the way it is when we come face to face with the risen Savior? We feel like our feet don't even touch the ground because we realize that He is alive and that He has conquered death. And because of that, we can live a resurrected life. Therefore, we, in our response, we should be running this race of faith so hard and so fast, so excited for what he has done, so excited to tell others about what he has done that our feet don't even feel like they touch the ground. And once Mary found the disciples, she told them what Jesus had said, that in Galilee they would see him. And that's exactly what happened. For the next 40 days, Jesus makes appearances all over the place. These women saw Jesus outside the tomb. The two walking to Emmaus saw Jesus, and they ate with him. The 11 disciples, they see Jesus in the upper room by the Sea of Galilee and the Mount of Olives. James, his half-brother, saw Jesus. Simon Peter had a personal encounter with Jesus. Over 500 witnesses saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, at one time. Hope is very much alive, and hope's name is Jesus. They may wonder... Why did Jesus have to die and then resurrect? Why, why would he have to do it that way? Well, I want to suggest two reasons why the resurrection is essential for us to have hope in salvation. And the first reason is the resurrection of Jesus was essential to demonstrate the reality of life after death. From the very beginning of time, people have asked the question, Job asked centuries ago in the Old Testament. It's recorded in Job 14, 14. Job said, if a man dies, shall he live again? And haven't we all had that question at some point in our life? We wonder, what happens to me after I die? What's going to happen to me when I die? Is there life after death, or is it just the end? Many great minds have debated that question, but Jesus answered that question when he came back from the grave. He proved that life after death is possible. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20, says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death... By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all be made alive. You see, it's a fact. Every one of us will die. We're going to live this life on this world, and we're going to die. 
But for those of us who place our faith in Jesus, we're promised this resurrection from the dead. We're promised eternal life. We're promised that there is life after this life. There is hope, and it's found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's why we celebrate Easter. And one of my favorite, or one of my mentors in ministry is Bob Russell, and he once said it this way. He said, let's say you and a friend are trapped in a flooding cave. So you're in a cave, the entrance, water's flooding in, there's no way to get out there, and in this cave, the water just begins to rise, and the water's rapidly getting higher and higher, and as you tread the water, you recognize that you're about four feet from the ceiling, and you're hopelessly trapped. But your friend's an excellent swimmer, and your friend says, there's got to be a way out. This water is it's flowing somewhere, so I'll, I'll be back. So he takes a deep breath, and he goes under the water, and he disappears, and he's gone for one minute, and then he's gone for two minutes, and then five minutes go by, and your friend isn't back. Hope seems gone. Rescue seems futile. Within the sixth minute, all of a sudden, your friend pops up out of the water. What do you know? There's hope. There's a way out. There's now hope because there's no way he could have held his breath for that long, so there's got to be another way. And then he says, look, I found a way out. If we just follow the current, we can go out, and there's another cavern over there, and there's light at the top of it. I think we can swim out, and we can get to freedom. Would you follow him? I would because he has proven he was gone, and now he's back. There's a way out. Would you believe him? I would because he proved it by coming back to you. And I would follow him because of that. Listen, Jesus disappeared into the cavern of death for three days. He was gone. And then he came back alive. And the reason he did that was to show us there is hope. There is life after death. There is a way out of death. Now when Jesus says this in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe him? I do. Because over 500 people witnessed his resurrected life, witnessed him resurrected over those 40 days. When he says, follow me, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I will follow him because he went away in death and he came back showing us there's a way. He's our hope. He's our only hope. And his hope is right here with us. Romans 8, 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, the reality is hope is here. Hope lives within the life of every believer in Jesus Christ because his Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's the same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead. That means that you have the hope of the resurrection living inside of you when you place your faith in Jesus. Therefore, it is the responsibility of every Christian to take that hope to the world. That leads me to the second reason that the resurrection was necessary. The resurrection was essential to demonstrate the authority of Jesus over all the earth. See, Jesus made this incredible claim, and he said that he was God in the flesh. He said, I and the Father are one. You've seen me, you've seen God. One day you'll see me coming in the clouds with all the angels of heaven with us. And those claims are outrageous, but the resurrection proves that the claims of Jesus are true. And we can believe those words because of his resurrection. Jesus insisted he would validate his deity by raising from the dead. In John 2, verse 19, Jesus said this. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, he wasn't talking about a literal temple. He was talking about his body. And when Jesus came out of that tomb after three days, it verified he's the Son of God. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. 
Because you see, when a man comes back from the grave, he's anyone he claims to be. And Jesus is the only one that's done that. He did it by the power that was in him because he is God. And on that first Easter Sunday night, Jesus appeared to his disciples that were gathered in an upper room. But for some reason, Thomas needed more proof. You've probably heard of Doubting Thomas. That's what we tend to call him. When the others were excitedly reporting that, that, Thomas, you missed it. We've seen the Lord. Jesus is alive. He's here. Thomas wouldn't believe it. He said, that can't be. He said, I've got to put my finger in the holes in his hand where the nails pierced them as he hung on that cross. I'm going to be able to put my hand where the spear pierced his side. Well, the next Sunday night, they're all meeting in the same room, and Jesus suddenly appears. You know, I think Jesus liked to mess with them that way. You know, as you read this, I mean, they're in a locked room, the Bible tells us, and they're all meeting, and, and Jesus just appears out of nowhere. Imagine if we were in a small group, and we're in a locked room, and we're hanging out, and all of a sudden, Jesus is over my shoulder, and he says, peace be with you. I mean, we would freak out, right? So I imagine these disciples are like, why don't you just knock on the door? But he shows up, and Thomas is startled, and, and he looks at him, and, and what Jesus says is he says this in chapter 20, verse 27 of John. He says, put your finger here. See my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. When Thomas knew that Jesus was alive, he called Jesus God. You see, when we believe the resurrection of Jesus, when we see the, the reality of it, there's no other response than to say, my Lord and my God. And then in verse 29, Jesus says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave, it affirms that he has authority over all of us. He has authority over death. He has authority over life. He has authority over everything. Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he tells them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, I'm with you because this Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Jesus offered hope to all who will place their faith in him and make him the authority over their life. He says, I've been given all authority. Will you, will you give him that authority? Will you choose to have Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Or will you let the resurrected Savior have authority over your life? The choice is yours. You see, often we want to have authority over our life, but what he calls us to is to allow him to have it. In our pride, we attempt to be our own authority. We attempt to, to call the shots and determine right and wrong for ourselves. But when you become a Christian, you accept the authority that Jesus has over you. He's not just Savior, but he's Lord of your life. See, too often I think we get caught up in the whole idea of, well, Jesus is my Savior, I'm going to go to heaven, but we don't allow him to have authority over everything in our life. We don't allow him to be Lord of our life. So each one of us comes to a point of decision. Do we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, and are we willing to make him Savior and Lord, having authority over our lives? If we do, he promises to resurrect us into a new life. There's no sin that can't be forgiven. There's no thing that you've done that's too great for the blood of Jesus to cover. There's no life that can't be transformed by his power. Our lives can be resurrected into something new. When we receive that resurrection through faith in Jesus, then our lives are transformed. And then we're called to take that hope that we've found to the world. You see, Jesus 
told those women who saw him, he said, go and tell the disciples about my resurrection. Jesus then told the disciples, now you go tell the world about my resurrection. And he tells us today, you believe in my resurrection? You have faith in me? Then now you go and you tell the world about my resurrection. And we do that by bringing hope to the world around us and teaching them about the gospel of Jesus. And we've tried to give you a very practical way to do that this Easter. As you came in, Sean mentioned this a little while ago, you should have received a bag like this. And, and it, this bag, what our hope is, is that you would fill this bag up with peanut butter and canned fruit and crackers and cookies and snack cakes and, and individual soap and deodorant and toothpaste and shampoo and small bottles, that you would fill this bag and you would bring it back next week because it's our desire to share the gospel with people in our community. This is a real way that we can, through providing for physical needs, then have conversations to point to spiritual needs and spiritual brokenness in our community. You see, there's a lot of people that need these items. And there's a very practical way that we can share hope with our community is by partnering with Hope Southern Indiana and providing this for their food pantry. So we're asking you to fill these bags up and, and bring them back next week, and then we're going to distribute hope to this area because what Hope Southern Indiana does is they meet physical needs and that opens doors for them to meet spiritual needs and they share the gospel. That's what they're all about. That's their purpose is to through helping those in the community who need help, then opening doors to share the gospel with them. So we hope that you'll fill those bags up and bring them back next week and we look forward to being in the hands and feet of Jesus in New Albany telling people that hope is here. Hope is here, but you know what? Maybe you walked in here today, and maybe you're searching for hope. Maybe you needed this message to know that there is hope, and you need to know that, that we prayed for you to be here today. You know that God has a purpose for you sitting here today. God has a plan for your life, and he, he wants to give you hope through his resurrected son, Jesus. He wants you to walk out of here with the hope of everlasting life with him. He wants you to walk out of here with hope in your heart because you've placed your faith in the resurrected king. He wants you to know that no matter how hard this life is, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter what you have done, no matter what you walked in here carrying from your past, that when you come face to face with the gospel of Jesus, when you encounter the resurrected Jesus, that you can lay all that at his feet, you can fall to his feet and worship him, and then you can live a resurrected life. You can live a new life because you've met hope. What the Bible tells us is that when we place our faith in Jesus, God resurrects in us a new life. He takes our old heart, our sinful heart, and he replaces it with a pure heart, a heart to follow him and a heart to strive to be like him. And today from our text, I circled a few phrases in my Bible that you might want to circle as well. And I think they sum this passage up very clearly. But throughout this, there are little phrases that I circled. And starting in verse 5, it's do not be afraid. A little bit after that, you seek Jesus. He has risen. Go quickly and tell that he has risen. You will see him. It's that simple. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of your sin. Don't be afraid of your past. Don't be afraid that you can't approach God. Don't be afraid that you can't be in his presence. You seek Jesus because Jesus has risen from the dead. So then once you believe that, you go quickly and you tell others that he has risen and you will see him. You'll see him work in your life. You'll see him show up in your life in ways that you can't even explain. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We, as Christians, become new creations. We live a resurrected life now. Hope is here now. Hope is not some far-off distant thing. 
He provides hope for us now in this, in this life now. And then he provides hope that once this life here is over, that there is life beyond death, eternal life with God. You see, Jesus has authority over the grave. It's only he who conquered death. Jesus has authority to forgive your sin, to wipe your past clean, to transform your life, to resurrect you into a new life. Will you let him do that? There's no better day than Resurrection Sunday to do that. And so what I'd like to do is I'd invite you to come forward as we sing in just a minute. You can kneel at the altar and place your faith in the resurrected king. You can just kind of symbolically picture yourself bowing at the feet of Jesus because you've come face to face with the resurrected king today. And kneel there and just say, God, I thank you that you forgive me for my sins. And I want that resurrected life. I'm going to follow Jesus and my prayer is that you would not just walk out of here today, but you would metaphorically run out of here today as though your feet aren't even touching the ground because you've experienced the grace that God gives you through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth that he is resurrected, he is alive, and he is here with us. Maybe you just need to come and, and just pray and thank God for all he's done. Maybe you need to praise him for being a resurrected king. You can do that too. We always open the altar every service because we want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. So maybe today's your salvation day and you come to the altar and you pray. If you do, fill out one of these connect cards. They're along the altar. We just want to know how we can follow up with you. Maybe you just need to come and pray. We invite you to do that as well. But let's worship our King as we close out today, as we celebrate our resurrected Savior. Let's pray. God, we are in awe of your awesomeness. God, the fact that you would overcome death for us so that we would not have to experience eternal death. But that through faith in you, our resurrected king who conquered the grave, who has authority over all, we can place our faith in you and you promise us eternal life. You promise us a resurrected life. God, I know there's some that walked in here today carrying pain and, and, and agony over sin and over past. Father, I pray that they know today by placing their faith in the resurrected King Jesus that they can walk out of here free of that with a resurrected life, a new life, and a new heart seeking after you. Father, I pray that everyone in here today has come face to face with the resurrected King through the preaching of your word. If you've moved in our hearts, Lord, we want to show that by humbly coming to the altar and bowing before you and just laying our hearts before you and worshiping at the feet of our King Jesus. So, Father, as we worship you, we ask for your spirit to move. Resurrect hearts today as you resurrected your son that first Easter Sunday. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.